0: So you'll need to open your Bibles to Colossians, so we're going to be in the New Testament for a while, the book of Colossians. I am starting a new sermon, mini-sermon series today, a six-weeks uh, sermon series. We're going to pick up the book of Genesis in September, but I thought it would be important for us to, to take a break and hit the pause button and, and, and look at some things that I think are pertinent in the life of our church and in, in your life as a Christian this morning. Back in April, the New York Daily News ran a story. It was a very interesting, fascinating story about a young, pregnant, 25 year old woman. 25 year old pregnant woman named Sharon Savino. During her second trimester, she began to cough a lot, she began to have these heart tremors. And she wasn't really sure what was going on with her. She thought maybe it was just part of her pregnancy. But then she began coughing up blood, and she was very alarmed. So she went to her doctor, and they gave her this news. You have an egg-sized tumor on the side of your heart, and you have one of two options. We can either do open-heart surgery with your baby in utero to remove the tumor, Or you can have a C-section and and deliver your baby prematurely and then have enough time to recover and then have open-heart surgery to remove the tumor. Well, the doctors deliberated and they felt like that this was such a life-threatening situation that it needed to be done immediately. So she went in January for surgery. She had open-heart surgery while her baby boy remained in utero. There were 17 known cases in the world of a procedure like this. It was very dangerous. It was very scary. But ultimately, the cardiologist removed the tumor. She recovered two more months of pregnancy. She had a C-section, and she delivered a healthy baby boy. And that's a scary situation for anybody to have to be in. Not, not, not just to, to, to feel the, the, the scariness that comes with being pregnant and all the things that go along with that, but to actually have a, an sized tumor at the same time that, that, that you don't even know about. Now think about this for a moment. What if she never went to the doctor? What if she had waited a few more weeks or even a few more months? She could have potentially have died and her baby could have died. And so we're thankful that that cardiologist was able to skillfully perform that surgery. Now, sometimes we don't know how healthy we are or how sick we are until we, what, go to the doctor. And some of you, and I have relatives like this, some of you are those type of people that you will never go to the doctor. I just don't like going to the doctor. I don't want to have to deal with what the doctor going to say. I'm not going to go to the doctor. But what if there's something underlying the surface that's undetected, that could potentially be life-threatening or cause you to be very sick. Maybe it's a heart tumor, if you will. Today, we're starting a new sermon series, and we're titling the sermon series, Am I a Healthy Christian? Am I a Healthy Christian? Am I Growing Spiritually? Have I stagnated in my growth as a Christian? Is there some spiritual condition underlying the surface of my life? Maybe there's a spiritual heart, heart tumor, if you will, that's deadly, that's going to potentially destroy my walk with Christ. Am I a healthy Christian? As your pastor, I have a key responsibility in your spiritual growth. God has called me to be your pastor. God has called me to teach you, to lead you, to love you, to disciple you. And just like your physical doctor is very concerned with your your physical health, your medical doctor, I as your pastor am very concerned about your spiritual health. Because I love you as my flock, I'm concerned about your relationship with Christ, and I just believe that we as Christians need to be healthy. Healthy. So this morning, I want us just to think about, over the next six six weeks, what is a healthy Christian? About... 14, 15 years ago, uh, there was a time in my life where I was really seriously asking God, what's your what's your call upon my life? What What's my primary responsibility as a minister? And God took me to this passage in Colossians, and He just really poured into my life what my responsibility is as a pastor. And so time and time again, I go back to this passage of Scripture as kind of my anchor, because it shows me as your pastor what my primary responsibility is in your spirit growth. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to start in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I want us to look at verses 28 and 29. This passage of scripture shows us my responsibility as your pastor, what I'm supposed to be doing. Colossians 1, 28 through 29. Him we proclaim. That's Jesus. Jesus we proclaim. Jesus we preach, warning everyone and teaching everyone With all wisdom, and what's the purpose? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Three things that this passage of Scripture gives me as a job description I need to preach Jesus, I need to teach you, and I need to warn you. And I do this with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the purpose that I'm here as your pastor is that I would teach, I would preach, I would lead with the purpose that we would all be mature. Notice what he says there. So that we may present everyone mature, complete, growing in Christ. And so I want to be real honest with you this morning. If you've been around Emmanuel long enough, you can probably stand up and say, at this church, we have been taught. We've been taught at this church. You've been taught from this pulpit week after week. If you're part of a growth group, you've been taught. Our children have grown up being taught. Our youth have been taught. You've been taught at this church. And as a pastor, I've been at my passion to faithfully, week by week, teach you and preach you the word of God. And so it's not a matter here at Manuel that we haven't been taught. I don't think anybody can walk out of this room and say, we we don't learn things in a manual. It's not that you haven't been taught. It's not that you don't have information. It's not that you've not received teaching. You've been taught. The real question is, so what? What now? What am I supposed to do with what I've been taught? What's the end result of all this time I spend at church and all the times I spend in growth groups and listening to sermons and, and being part of the ministry? What's my responsibility now? Okay, Sean, that's your responsibility. Your responsibility is to teach, to preach, to lead, to shepherd, to, to present everybody mature in Christ. That's my responsibility, and I'm very confident in that, so I'm not going to spend any more time on that. I've, I've settled that with the Lord. What I want to move to is your responsibility. What is your responsibility as a Christian now that you've been taught. Okay, because we can come here every Sunday and get information and not translate into any type of transformation where it makes a difference in your life. So let's go into chapter two and we're going to look at the foundational passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at over the next six weeks that I believe gives your responsibility as a Christian and how you're to grow, how you're to be mature. So let's look at chapter two of Colossians verses six and seven. And Paul starts there with a the therefore, which means he's been building up to this, and now he's going to give us the, the reason why he's, he, he's given us this instruction. Therefore, verse 6, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in Thanks, give me. this passage tells us many things about what it means to be a healthy christian this passage gives us somewhat of a blueprint of what it means to be a growing healthy maturing christian the first thing that paul says there in verse six therefore as you have received jesus christ the lord now the original wording here in the original language really puts a focus on the word the lord You've received Christ as the Lord. He is the Lord of your life. In other words, if you've trusted Christ for salvation, He is the absolute leader of your life. He's the King, He's the Sovereign. You've bowed yourself under His authority. He is the leader of your life. He is the Lord. And if you haven't trusted Christ, if you're here this morning and you, and you haven't trusted Christ for salvation, you haven't given your life to Christ, the Bible says you need to repent of your sins and believe in him as Lord, as the one who has the right to, to guide your life, to rule your life, to lead your life. He is the sovereign Lord. And a lot of times we, you hear pastors say this, just make Jesus the Lord of your life. And I disagree with that statement. And here's why. You don't make Jesus anything. He's already Lord, regardless of what you do with him. He's Lord of lords, and he's kings of kings. You don't make him the Lord of your life. A better terminology would be, you surrender your life to the king. He already is the king. Our job is to surrender under his lordship, to, 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 be, to be under his rule. Now, Dawn is reading a book right now, my wife, called Iris, Trophy of Grace, and she's really excited about this book. I think Kim Lambrick was the one that, that recommended it to her. It's about a woman who was in prison for drugs, then she became a prostitute, and then she ran a topless bar, and then she got saved. She knelt down and prayed to receive Jesus in front of a topless bar, and God radically changed her life. She went from a topless bar prostitute to a, a wonderful Christian woman, and she's written this book called Iris, Trophy of Grace, and she makes a great statement about lordship. Here's what she says about making Jesus Lord of your life or having Christ as Lord. She says this, A lot of people don't go any farther over than saying they love Jesus. They've never committed themselves or turned their lives over to him. Think about marriage. You can have a crush on somebody and flirt with them, but not be committed to them in marriage. And this is her terminology. You can shack up with someone and have children, but that doesn't make you married. What makes you married is when you believe in your heart and stand in front of witnesses and say, I do. There may be a lot of people that flirt with Jesus. They give him lip service. They're, they're kind of enamored with Jesus. They kind of, they, they, they're kind of mesmerized by Jesus, but they've never stood up publicly and committed their life to him and say, I do. You are the Lord of my life. You're my supreme master. So here's the question, if you're a Christian here this morning. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, and if you're a Christian, he is, then how do you relate to the Lord of your life? How will you submit and surrender yourself to his lordship in being a growing Christian? how do you live your life under his lordship? Because Paul says, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, you've received him. He's your Lord. He's your master. He's your savior. He's your king. And then Paul moves on to the main command here. What's the main command? What's the primary command in this text? He tells us what we are to do. It comes next. So walk in him. In the original language, it's a non-negotiable command. It's a command, walk in Him. It's a command to be obeyed continually, repeatedly. Keep on continually as a command, walk in Jesus. That phrase, in Christ or in Jesus, shows up over and over again in the book of Colossians. It's this idea that we have a dynamic relationship with Jesus. He's not a philosophy. He's not just some guru He's not somebody that gives you a free ticket to heaven and so you can just kind of tack him on to the end of your life. He's not somebody that gives you good life principles. He's not just a thought out there. What what Paul's saying is that he is a living person, the resurrected Christ. And when you become a Christian, you are put into a dynamic relationship with Christ. You are in Christ and he's in you and so you are to walk with him. You are to have fellowship with him. You are to have this growing relationship with him. It's an ongoing relationship with Christ christ a living person and so if we claim to be a christian we've received christ as lord he's our master but we also as a lifestyle follow him walk in him live with him fellowship with him and then what paul does here is he gives four descriptors of what that looks like the primary command is walk with christ Keep on continually walking with Christ, have this intimate fellowship with Christ, live for Christ. And then he gives four descriptors or four modifiers or four, four descriptions of what that looks like. Now, some of these descriptors are metaphors or imageries that come from everyday life. Because if you're like me, sometimes abstract thought need concrete pictures. We need word pictures. We need analogies. We need things we're familiar with. And that's what Paul does with these analogies. He gives us analogies from common day life to show us more clearly what it means to have this dynamic relationship with the Lord. Okay, so if Christ is your Lord, the command is to walk with him in intimate fellowship. Okay, what does that look like? Paul gives four descriptors here. Let's look in verse 7. You see see this listed in verse 7. Here's the first one. Rooted in him. Rooted. Now, this is an agricultural metaphor. We're farm people out here. I'm not a farmer, but most of you are farm people out here. You know what it means to have roots. You know what it means for things to grow. In the original language, it conveys this idea that you are to be deeply rooted in Jesus. You're to be strongly rooted in Jesus. That you're not just casually connected to him, but you have this deep root system that you are anchored in Christ. Your roots go go deep in him. It's like what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17.8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You're like a tree planted and you you produce fruit because you're rooted deeply in Christ. When my parents lived in California, uh, they lived in the San Francisco area, and we went out to visit them and we got to go see the redwood trees. Anybody ever seen the redwoods? There's there's different types of redwoods. There's there's the really tall redwoods, and there's the really big redwoods where you can drive a car through them. Either way, most of these trees are around 1,000 years old. But here's what you may not know about redwood trees. They have a very small root system. You may think, well, why do they have such a small root system for these huge trees, For for these massive trees? You'd think they'd have these deep roots. Each individual tree has small, shallow roots. But guess what happens? Because they're all together in a forest, they have an interconnected network of roots that make them stronger because they're interconnected. You see, in our individualistic, westernized American Christianity, we're very isolationist-oriented. It's my own personal relationship with Jesus, and yes, I want my roots to go deep, and, and yes, we do, but think about the picture of the Redwoods they're not just in isolation, their roots are very shallow, but they're interconnected and it makes them stronger. And as Christians, we need to be interconnected with each other in fellowship with each other, rooted in Christ, which makes us stronger. And so the first analogy here that Paul gives is an agricultural analogy. You've got to be rooted in Christ, these deep roots that produce fruit, that you are rooted deeply in Christ. And if we didn't get that, Paul gives us another one. Okay, rooted and built up built up in him this is an architectural metaphor this is related to architecture to foundations you got to be built up in christ you got to have a solid foundation you, you've got to have the solid concrete slab so that the house or the structure can be built up in jesus you've got to be built up in him ephesians 2 in him you're also being built together into a dwelling place for god by the spirit it's this whole idea of having a solid foundation now, if you, you need deep roots in Christ, but you also need a solid foundation. So let me ask you a question. How solid is your foundation in Jesus? How solid is that foundation? If it's anything else other than Jesus, it's going to crumble. I don't know if you watch this show, but my family does, called Strip the City. It's on the Science Channel. Strip the City, doesn't, it's not what it sounds like. for. a Strip the City means they, they go to these um, major cities around the world, and they look at the architecture, and they look at the geography, and they, and they figure out how these cities are going to survive if there's like a major catastrophe. And one of the shows was on Paris. Now, I don't know if you know this about Paris, but Paris is considered the most beautiful city in the world. You've got the Eiffel Tower, you've got the Arc de Triomphe, you've got these other major um, landmarks there, but here's what you may not know about Paris. Back in the Middle Ages when they were building all of the cathedrals, They went underground and started quarrying out all of the limestone to build the cathedrals. So there's these huge holes in the foundation under Paris that's made of sandstone. So geologists and city planners are very afraid that Paris could sink at any moment now. And so they've gone into these underground subways and tried to reinforce them. And so basically the most beautiful city in the world is on a foundation that could sink. Now think about that for a moment. You can look very pretty on the outside. You can look like you have it all together on the outside. You can look pretty mature on the outside. But if your foundation like Paris is on sinking sand, it could all come crashing down. So the question you've got to ask is, is my foundation built on Jesus? Am I deeply rooted in Jesus? Agricultural metaphor is my foundation upon Jesus. Now what's the third metaphor he uses? He uses. This you may not catch as much. It's from the business world. Rooted and built in him and established in the faith. Established. Established in the faith. This is really basically a marketplace or a financial term. Back in that day when you would go buy property or you'd go buy a house, they would give you a title deed. When there was transfer of property, you would receive a title deed. You would would buy the house and they would give you a title deed. That's what this word means. It really means that you've bought into what jesus is all about and he's bought you with his blood we've been established notice what it says established in what the faith not just any faith the faith as jude says jude 1 3 beloved although i was very eager to write to you about our common salvation i found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith That was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, the first two metaphors, the agricultural metaphor and the building metaphor, that really relates to how we relate to Christ as a person. The third metaphor is more about how we relate to his teaching. Do we have a solid foundation? Have we bought in, if you will? Have we we totally embraced the faith? Are we strong in our theology? Are we strong in our teaching? Are, Are we strong in the faith? So, are we deeply rooted in Christ? Are we built on the foundation of Christ and have we totally bought into his teaching? Now, the fourth thing Paul says is really an outflow. Think about it just logically for a moment. If Christ is your Lord and you're walking with him and you're rooted in him and you're built on the foundation of him and you're established and you you believe his teaching, you, you, you subscribe to the faith, what should it produce? Paul says right there, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. It's a strong word that that you're super abounding in thanksgiving. You're a thankful person. You're a joyful person. You're, You're a thankful person. Okay, so Paul here gives us a picture of what a maturing Christian looks like. You have Christ as the Lord of your life and you've submitted yourself to him as your Lord. And you have this intimate dynamic walk with him where you're walking with him. And what does that look like? You're rooted deeply into him. You're built on the foundation of Him. You're believing the faith wholeheartedly, and you're overflowing in joy and thankfulness. You're a thankful person. That's what a healthy Christian looks like. So at this point, you may be asking me a very important question. Okay, Sean, that sounds all fine and good. I see it there on paper, but how do I get there? How does this happen for me? how do i make this happen what what do i need to do to be planted and to be rooted and to be walking how how do i do this what 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 do i need to do to have this dynamic relationship with christ well this comes to our first answer over the next six six weeks we're going to look at six marks or six characteristics of what a healthy christian christian is and here's the first one this is the first answer this is where we start okay we're going to look at six of these but here's the one for today Here's the answer. A healthy Christian is saturated in Scripture. And I've used that terminology very carefully because I believe that the word saturation conveys really what we're talking about here. You need to be saturated in the Scripture. Now, you may be thinking, now, what in the world does that mean? I, I'm going to go on and pack that. But let me just say up front, the only way for you to grow, the only way for you to get deeper in Christ, the only way for you to have a deeper walk with Christ is if, you, if you're in the Scriptures. If you're reading your Bible, if you're taking time to immerse yourself, to saturate yourself in this book, go over to chapter 3 for a moment of Colossians, and look at verses 16 and 17 of Colossians chapter 3, and Paul makes a statement here about what the Word of God is supposed to be doing in our lives. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Paul says, let the Word of Christ, what's the Word of Christ? Christ the Bible. Let the Word of Christ, let the Scriptures do what? Dwell in you. Live in you. How? Richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul says here, let the word of Christ keep on continually dwelling in you, living in you, taking up residence in you. Let the word of God soak in you. Now what is scripture saturation for a moment? Think about northeastern Colorado for a moment. This summer, we've gotten a lot of rain, haven't we? A little bit more rain than we've normally gotten. But I know in years past, we've been really praying for rain. Now, what kind of rain do we want here? Do we want a hailstorm that destroys crops? No. Do we want like a 10-minute thunderstorm that comes down really hard and just kind of slides off the ground? What would you rather have? A slow, steady, dripping type of rain that has time to soak into the ground. That's the kind of rain we want. That's what scripture saturation is. It's that slow, steady, soaking of the Bible into our lives so that we can grow. I'm afraid that for a lot of people, a lot of Christians, the main diet they get of the Bible is what I preach on Sunday mornings. Or maybe a podcast or a radio program they pick up on the way to work. Or maybe, uh, just maybe a haphazard reading of a Bible verse here and there. If that's your main diet of the Bible, you're not going to grow. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. This is, this is kind of weird, but I like it. Sometimes Spurgeon's weird, but we'll, we'll, we'll love him for it anyway. Spurgeon, he says, Try to get saturated with the gospel. I always find that I can preach best when I manage to lie a soak in my text. After I have bathed in it, I delight to lie down in it and let it soak in me. Okay, Spurgeon, that's kind of weird. But we understand what he's saying, right? He goes and takes a bath in the Bible, and what happens when you lie in, the, in a bath for too long? What ends up happening? You get all wrinkly and pruny, and what happens? The, the water sinks into you, right? It seeps into you. And Charles Spurgeon's like, "I like to go take a bath with the with the Bible, and when I come out, it seeped into me." And that's a weird image, but that's what Scripture saturation is. It's this whole idea that you spend time in the Word of God so that it sinks into your soul. Some of you are from Missouri, which is where I grew up. Some of you are from Texas. I grew up in Missouri and Texas before I moved to Colorado, so I have the, the weird combination of, of, of having those background in my life. But some of you know what chiggers are. Anybody know what a chigger is? Some of you are raising your hand. A chigger is a little bug that you don't want to get, okay? <laughs> like if you're a kid and you go out at night and, and, and you go out into the weeds of Missouri or Texas, the, your parents say, watch out for the chiggers. Well, a chigger is a little bug that burrows into your skin, and as it burrows into your skin, it begins to take up resonance in your skin and it begins to infect you because it's a parasite and then you end up having to try to get the chiggers out of it, and basically it likes to live off of you. It's a chigger. Now, I'm not saying the Bible's a chigger, but that's a good picture of what the Bible should do. The Bible should burrow into your skin, take up resonance in your life so that it affects your entire life and you're never the same because the Bible has become so important to you. And let me ask you to turn over to one other place, just a few books over. Turn over to 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Just, just go over past um, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, past 1 Timothy, and then go to 2 Timothy, chapter 3. And I want us just to show you guys uh, a couple of scriptures here about what the Bible says about itself. It's important. This is a foundational verse about the Bible. If, if we are to be saturated in the scriptures... If we're to let the Bible take up residence, that's if, we're, if we're to be in our Bibles, and that's, that's the primary way we grow, then what is the Bible all about? What does the Bible do? What's the nature of the Bible? 2 Timothy 3.16. You, you've probably read this before, but let's, let's read it again because I think it's a foundational passage of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All Scripture. Okay, that's important. Does it say some Scripture? Read your Bible. What does it say right in front of you? All Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete there's that word again complete mature equipped for every good word work so the scripture's breathed out by God some of your translations may say given under inspiration Sometimes the word inspiration is a little tricky in our modern language because we can use the word inspiration or inspired in different ways. We can say, you know what? LeBron James was inspired to go back to Cleveland. Or Shakespeare was inspired to write Romeo and Juliet. Or Bono was inspired to write Pride in the Name of Love in honor of Martin Luther King. Or, or so-and-so was inspired. They got this burst of inspiration. They just decided to sit down and write this great work of art or, or do something great. That's not what we're talking about here. This is, the, the word here means God himself breathed out exactly what he wanted human authors to write. And when they wrote it down, all scripture, that's the word graphe in the Greek text, all the writings, all the scriptures is God breathed. It's inspired. It's God's exact Word. And what does it do? Not only is it inspired, but Paul says it's profitable. It's useful. It does something for us. Four things. For teaching. Okay, it teaches us what we should believe. It teaches us doctrine. It teaches us what we need to know, how we need to live. Number two, for reproof. That means the Bible exposes errors that we may have in our thinking. It may expose personal sin. So it teaches us, it reproves us, it says it's for correction. The Bible helps us to see where we're wrong. It corrects us. It shows us where our lifestyle needs to to change, where we need to repent. And then for training in righteousness, how to live a holy life, how to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so the Bible is God's word for us. It's inspired. It's perfect. It's true. It's his very word for us. It's profitable. It's useful for, for training, for teaching, for correcting us. We need the scriptures. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about the Bible. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is living, and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This word is living. It's active. It's God's dagger, if you will, that exposes us. It cuts away our heart. It It leaves us naked before him and exposed. This word of God, whether we like it or not at times, it comes to us in power and it convicts us and exposes us. and it teaches us and it encourages us and it challenges us and it comforts us and we need this living active word of God in our lives so I want to challenge you this morning with some things you need to do in order to have a closer walk with Christ in this area of scripture saturation if the only way one of the primary ways you're going to grow and be a healthy maturing Christian is if you're in the scriptures And I'm talking more than just a diet of what you get on Sunday morning. If you want scripture saturation, which means that I've got to be in this word, reading this word, studying this word, letting this word soak into me, let me give you some three things this morning that you will need to do. Practical things to help you become more saturated in scripture. Here's the first. You need to have a plan to read and study your Bible daily. This is basic stuff. You need to have a plan to read and study your Bible daily. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm one nineteen nine 9-11. How can a young man or a young woman or an old woman or an old man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let not my, me wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now let me just say something here. I'm, I'm going to move from, from preaching to meddling, okay? There is no excuse in today's world for you not to have the tools and the resources for Bible study. With the internet, with apps, with tablets, with iPhones, with the traditional books, with magazines, there is not, you can't come to me and say, I don't know where to go or what to get. There are enough tools and resources out there to help you have a plan to spend daily time in the Word of God. So let me just give you some, okay? You may want to write these down. The first one and we'll put it up on the screen, U version. Some of you have the U version Bible app. If you don't have an iPad or an iPhone or a tablet or you're not in electronics, we'll get to you in just a moment. I'm talking to the people that are like digital. The U version app is awesome. You can set up a Bible reading plan. It will email you when you're behind, which is sometimes annoying. But the you Version app, it's got all different versions of the Bible, tons of different reading plans. It's free. You can go on the computer and get it. You can load it onto your, your device. The you Version app is probably where you need to start to, and even start tomorrow to come up with a plan. You've got to have a plan. It's not going to happen just haphazardly. So the U Version. Okay, Table Talk. My favorite magazine to subscribe to is Table Talk. I think it's about twenty-five or thirty bucks for a year. You, you get it once a month. They've got daily devotions and Table Talk. I've got some copies of Table Old Table Talk out on the welcome center. As you leave, you can take them first come first serve. You can get the actual, like magazine, or you can down, like I get both. I can download it on my on my iPad here and read it. It's got daily devotions as well as other articles in there. It's from RC Sproul's Ligonier's Ministry Table Talk. Another app. The Explore Bible app. This is, I think, about, it's an app, I think, it's like two bucks a month. You can go on to the um, iPhone, to the um, App Store, to the Google Play Store. And this is another type of, um, there's youth ones. This is the Explore Bible Notes for adults. This is another Bible reading plan. So those are three digital ways that you can get a daily plan to read your Bible. Now, some of you are like, I don't have an iPad, I don't have an iPhone, I don't have any I except for me. I use paper in books. Well, you're not going to be neglected this morning. Out on the Welcome Center table, we've made copies of the Navigator's Discipleship Journal reading plan. If you like traditional paper, it's out there. It it has every day a Bible reading plan that you can take. And this is what I used to do maybe three or four years ago, put it in your Bible and check off when you read it and things like that. And so if you don't like electronics or digital, we've got a paper copy out there for you. So there's no excuse for anybody to walk out here saying, I don't know where to start with the plan to read my Bible daily. The point is you've got to make a plan and you've got to stick to the plan. And you've got to start it, I would say, today or tomorrow. Walk out of this place and say, I'm going to make a plan to spend every day in this Word so that it can soak into my life, it can dwell in me richly. So that's, that's action step number one. You've got to have a plan and you've got to stick to it. Here's the second one. You need to make it a top priority to be under solid preaching and teaching. It's got to be a top priority in your life. And that means if you're a member of Emanuel Baptist Church, if you're a member, a covenant member here, that means that it's a non-negotiable, that it, it, unless you're on vacation or, or something and we understand issues of it, you make it a priority to be here in church, to sit under the preaching and teaching of the word. And I would take it a step further to say if you're a member of Emmanuel, you make it a point to be part of a growth group or a Sunday school class where you can grow and learn. See, a lot of times it's hard to, sometimes we learn the Bible in isolation. And it's good to be in a group where you can, you can hear the, the word of God preached solidly and taught solidly because think about it, there's a lot of wacky heresy out there. With the proliferation of the internet, I would say this, be careful what you surf and be careful what you watch. Especially up by like 360s on direct T V. You know what I'm talking about like TBN and some of those other things. You've got to be careful. I'm not saying everything on those stations is bad, but there's a lot of wacky stuff on the airwaves. Listen to what Paul says. Ephesians four, fourteen through 15. He says that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ. Now, I'm not saying anything special about me as your pastor. Okay, so don't, don't think I'm trying to draw attention, but I work really hard to make sure that what comes from this pulpit is solid teaching. And you need to be under solid preaching and teaching consistently. You need to be under the preaching of the word solidly. You need to be in in, in small groups and Bible studies where you can be under solid preaching and teaching. And make it a priority for your family to be under solid preaching and teaching. And be very careful what you expose yourself out to there in in the internet. I'm not saying that you should never listen to other pastors. I'm not saying that. You shouldn't listen to other speakers because I listen to other pastors. I listen to other speakers. You just got to be very discerning on who you listen to and what you buy in because you don't want to be one of those children Paul talks about, this tossed about on the waves and winds and you're not solid so make it a non-negotiable in your life so number one make a plan to read your bible daily and study it whatever plan you choose but make the plan and stick to it number two make it a priority for you and your family to be under solid preaching and teaching consistently under the word of god and here's the third one you need to make a firm commitment that you will obey the bible no matter what now you may think that's a that's a duh sean most evangelical Christians believe that this is God's word. Most evangelical Christians believe this is inspired. Most evangelical Christians believe this is the, the inerrant truth of God's word. But the issue is not whether we believe the Bible's God's word. The issue is are we going to live under its authority. Here's where a lot of Christians live. They live above the authority of the Bible, looking down upon it, saying, I'm going to pick and choose which parts of it I'm going to agree with and which parts I'm going to obey, and I'm the authority over the Bible. That's wrong. As Christians, we need to reverse it and say, we live under the authority of the Bible, and no matter what this says, we're going to adjust our lives to it because this is the truth, and we're not the truth. We're not the authority. You cannot be a healthy, growing Christian unless you make a firm commitment to obey everything in this book. The Bible has a lot to say about marriage, finances, sex, how you use your language, how you use your time, how you use your resources, how you relate to your your family, how you relate to friends. The Bible has a lot to say about how you live everyday life, and you've got to make a commitment that you're going to obey all of it, no matter what. Now, here's why I put the word no matter what. Even when it's not popular. Even when it's not politically correct. Even when it's not culturally accepted, are you going to obey this word because it's God's word? When the culture or the media or the society calls you a bigot or calls you intolerant or calls you narrow-minded or calls you whatever name else they can think of, are you going to listen to them or are you going to say, no, my authority is this word and I'm going to obey it no matter what? Because listen, there's going to come a day where in the near future, when you begin to obey this no matter what, you will be persecuted. You will be maligned if it hasn't happened already. We've got to make a commitment now that we're going to obey this word no matter What? Listen to what Matthew fifteen eight through 9 what Jesus says. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. A lot of Christians give lip service to the Bible, but is your heart there in obedience? God had this word through Jeremiah to the Old Testament people. In Jeremiah two nineteen. 19, he said, your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. You see, when you begin to forsake this word, when you begin to abandon this word, when you begin to say, you know what, there's parts of this I really don't agree with, I'm I'm not going to adjust my life to it, I'm not going to obey, this is not my authority. Basically what you're saying is you don't fear God, and you're in authority over God, you know better than God, and that the culture knows better than God. I'd much rather stand on the day of judgment before God and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You do not bow to the culture than to bow to the culture here and make some major compromises on the day of judgment. So three practical ways to grow in scripture saturation. Number one, make a plan and stick to it. I can't do that for you. You've got to make the plan and stick to it. I've given you tools. If you need help or you you need help from the church, we want to help you. Give you tools to to, to make a... And and don't just say, I'm going to do this next week. I'm going to do this next month. Start tomorrow. Even if the Bible reading plan starts in January, just start it on the day that's tomorrow. What's tomorrow? January? I mean, January. July 21st? Just start where it starts on July 21st and and then just start from there. There should be no excuse that you don't have the tools or the resources. And number two, make it a top priority to be under sound preaching and teaching and to be very discerning. And number three, make a commitment that you're going to obey this word no matter what. No matter what. Listen to how Jesus links Scripture saturation with being an obedient disciple. In John 8, 31 through 32, I hope you notice Jesus' wordings and how, how it relates to this whole idea of letting the Scripture dwell in you, let the Scripture live in you. John 8, 31 through 32, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my what? Word. If you live in my word, if you're in my word, if you're soaking in my word, if you're studying my word, if you abide in my word, then what? You are truly my disciples. Now let's take the flip side of that. Are you truly a disciple if you don't abide in his word? And then notice what else Jesus says in verse 32. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you want to be free this morning? Do you want to grow in Christ this morning? Do you want to be a maturing, growing Christian who has a dynamic walk with Christ? Do you want to be rooted in Jesus? Do you want to be on the foundation of Jesus? Do you want to be established in the faith? Do you want to be overgrowing in thankfulness? Do you want to do that? Well, Jesus says, here's the way you do it. You abide in my word. You saturate yourself in my word. You dig into this word. You let this word dwell in your issue. You soak in this word. You saturate yourself in this word. You obey this word. And then what does Jesus say? When you do that, you'll know the truth. And what will the truth do? It'll set you free. Free to be what? Free to grow. Free to obey. Free to be what God has called you to be as his mature, growing follower. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I've given you some pretty specific practical application action steps this morning of things that, that you can do to grow in Christ. And so I want you just to spend a few moments in silent prayer just asking the Lord to search your heart. What commitments do you need to make this morning? I'm going to grow you? How are you going to be obedient to his word and, and how are you going to make a plan? So just spend some time in prayer this morning, asking God to search your heart and give you the strength, give you the power, give you the grace to be able to do this. You, it's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps, This is by grace alone that God gives you through the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the ability to do this. So ask him to equip you and to encourage you this morning. This morning, we're thankful that you've given us your word. It, it's an inspired word all scripture from Genesis to Revelation is your word. It's perfect. It's a treasure of divine truth without any mixture of error at all. We love your word. We, we submit to your word. And so, Lord, as we leave this place this morning, we really pray that we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers also. Lord, I pray that you give us strength to be able to make a plan to read. If we're not in that point in our lives where we're, where we're daily reading and studying your Bible, that we'd make a plan and we'd stick to it. And You give us the strength to be able to do that. And Lord, when times get tough and we, don't, we, we see the culture telling us that what we believe is arcane and outdated and, and intolerant, that we would just stick with what the Bible says because it's your word no matter what. And Lord, we'd be discerning and we would not... Um, be, be caught up in all the, the wave of heresy that's out in the world, but Lord, we'd be under solid preaching and teaching so that we can grow. That ultimately, Jesus, would be saturated in Scripture. We'd let it sink deep into our souls. That it would be more than just, we just read it, but it would transform our lives to where we live it out, we obey it, we apply it. That we would not be in authority over the Bible, but we'd be under the authority of the Scripture and, su- and orient our lives and submit to you. Lord, if there's anybody here today that's, never for the first time submitted themselves to you as as Savior. And Lord, I pray that today, Lord, they would see their need to become a Christian and they would repent and believe. And, And Lord, that you begin to work in their hearts and lives to know what it means to have a relationship following you. So thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for equipping us. And we know, Jesus, you're powerful to do the work in us. So we trust you to do a great work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.